The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. the mighty man in battle the God of heaven's armies the God that goes into battle with millions and millions and millions of angels it is to you that we bring our worship this morning it is in honor of your name that we're gathered here today so please speak to us directly from your throne in the mighty name of Jesus that everything that is said today is from your heart. That with I diminish so that you are glorified. That your glory fills this temple to the honor of your name. Father Lord, we bring our pastors, Femi and Dami Munei in front of the throne of grace. Because they have obeyed the command of feeding your sheep. Because all they do is feed your sheep. Therefore, they will be first partakers of your blessings in the mighty name of Jesus. Concerning them, every crooked path is made straight in the mighty name of Jesus. You will surround them as you've always done with glory. Because it is your will to do so. And every day of their lives, they will continue to make you proud. And your name will be glorified in their house, in their home, in their ministry, and everywhere concerning them. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. Praise God. Please be seated in the presence of the Most High God. 
Hallelujah. This morning, we're going to be talking about the Lord God of hosts, the Lord of the heavens armies, also called Jehovah Sabaoth. God has a lot of names, and all those names are very relevant to us at different parts of our lives. But there is a name that I think really, really personally describes the essence and the glory of God. And that name is Jehovah Sabaoth. I'm not pronouncing it properly. The Lord God of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth. If we were to describe the name Jehovah Sabaoth, it would mean that the Lord is the Lord of hosts. And when we say hosts, we mean the host of heaven. We mean the stars, the sun. We mean armies in this world. We mean hordes of insects. We mean the people of the Lord, both of the old and new covenant. The Lord is the commander of all hosts, whether they be in heaven or they be on earth. So why would we say God is a God of even insects? Because God himself said so. In Joel chapter 2 verse 25, I'm reading from the King James Version when I say what the Lord said. And he said, I will restore to you the years that the locusts had eaten and the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. So the Lord is even Lord of, um, of armies of canker worms and caterpillars. Why would we say God is the Lord of hosts? And we're talking about the host of stars and the sun. Because the Bible says so. In Judges 5, 19 to 21, I'm reading from NLT now. The Bible says that the kings of Canaan came and fought at Tanakh near Megiddo Springs. But they carried off no silver treasures. The stars fought from heaven. The stars in their hobbits fought against Sisera. The Lord is, a, is the Lord of hosts of stars. And if he chooses to, he can choose to use stars to fight in your favor. Isaiah 40, 26 says, look up to the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army. I'm reading from NLT this time. One after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. We already know that angels are part of the heavenly host. Psalm 148 verse 2, NLT version says, Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all the armies of heaven. In Psalm 103, 19 to 21, still in the NLT, the Bible says the Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. 
the important thing to note from all this scripture is that the Lord God Almighty is the Lord God of hosts of every army. And that's, it's, that, well, maybe by the end we'll know why that is extremely important to us. The second thing to note is that all these armies, be they caterpillars, cankerworm, stars, angels, they do his bidding 100% of the time. Scripture we just read now said, angels are listening out for his command, just waiting to carry out what he has not yet said. So how powerful is this God? When we say he is the mighty man in battle, exactly how powerful is this God that we're talking about, Jehovah Sabaoth. In King, 2 Kings 19.35, we are told that that night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, military men, in one night. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. Let's take a minute there. It's a very familiar scripture. We use it a lot. One angel killed 185,000 trained military men in one night. They just sent one person, one angel. Okay, so for us to know how powerful God is, why don't we try and find out how many angels he actually has in this army? So we can try to work out how powerful, if he wanted to send all his angels to, for some reason, destroy people in one night, God forbid. How powerful is this God? The Bible doesn't really say how many angels there are, but we can try and deduce it. Hebrews 18, no, sorry, Hebrews 12, 22 in KJV says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. So they can't be counted. But in Revelation 5:11, message version, the Bible says, I looked again. I heard a company of angels around the throne, the enemy, the animals, and the elders. 10,000 times 10,000 their number. Thousand after thousand after thousand in full song. I'll note that this scripture said, a company. If A was used to define it, it might mean that there might be other companies. I don't know that, so I'm just, I'm just suggesting. But even if it was only this company, this one company God had as his army, we just read that there are 10,000 times 10,000. If you multiply that, that's a hundred million angels in one company. So, if one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian military men, and I emphasize on military men because they're not regular men. These are men trained, the best of the best. If one angel killed 185,000 in one night, 
than a hundred million angels could possibly kill 1.85 trillion. We're not, even eight, we're not even up to 8 billion people on the earth. That is how powerful this God is. In Joshua 10, 12 to 13, NLT version, the Bible tells us that on the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place till the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Joshua? The sun stayed in the middle of a sky and it did not set as on a normal day. Still on how powerful God is. Because he created everything we see and cannot see. When he wishes, he can choose that what we see on a daily basis doesn't happen that way. He can decide that sun don't go down. Or water rise up from the sea and stay suspended. He can because he has absolute power and all these elements respond to his every command. So when we say Jehovah is the Lord God of heaven's armies. And we say that Jehovah is the Lord God of hosts. Or the name Jehovah Sabaoth is mentioned beside you. Put respect on that name. Because the God we're talking about is a God that can undo and do anytime he wishes. Praise God. So let's quickly go into the Bible to see examples of people that have called upon Jehovah Sabaoth. As you can imagine, the name is a militant name, God of the heavens armies. Every time you hear it, you know, you picture, I now picture thousands and thousands of angels sitting on white horses wearing white very militant, with one finger they can do and undo. That's what I picture now. You know, so I, I, would, I would imagine that any time people called this name or they invoked this name of God, it was in a battle scenario. But actually in the scriptures, the first time this name of God was mentioned, it was not in a battle scenario. It was actually not from a military person. It was for a woman it was from a woman, by a woman that was desperate. The first time we hear the name Jehovah Sabaoth, Sabaoth in the Bible, the Lord God of hosts, was from Anna. First Samuel 1, 1 to 11, Amplified Version. There was a certain man of Ramathim Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim, named Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, and Ephraimite. He had two wives, one named Anna and the other named Penina. Penina had children, but Anna had none. This man went up from his city each year to worship and sacrifice 
to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he will give portions of, okay, portions to Penina, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion because he loved Anna. But the Lord had given her no children. Hannah's rival provoked her bitterly to irritate and embarrass her because the Lord had left her childless. So it happened year after year. Whenever she went up to the house of the Lord, Penina provoked her. So she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you cry and why do you not eat? What are you, why are you so sad and discontent? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Anna got up after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now, now Eli, the, the priest, was sitting on his seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Anna was greatly distressed and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. She made a vow saying, O oh Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life. A razor shall never touch his head. When she was going to call the name of God, she invoked the name of God that you would typically use in a military battle. But she wasn't in any battle at all. But maybe she was. But it wasn't a battle in the way that we would call battles. You didn't need horses. You didn't need angels that had big swords. But she was desperate. Hannah, as we read, was a barren first wife of a Levite. Even though her husband loved her so much, he had married another wife called Penina. Penina, we read it just now, who was quite fertile. By the time we're introduced to Hannah, her husband, and Penina, she'd been in that house with that woman for a while, at least five to six years. Why? The Bible doesn't say five to six years. But we just read now that she had sons and daughters. The Bible didn't say a son or a daughter. Sons and daughters. That's what the Amplified Version says. So if she had sons and daughters, she had at least more than a boy and more than a girl. So that's four children. Even if she was giving birth right after each other, she would have been with, in that house for at least four years or more. So this was a woman who was in a house with another wife who was just dropping babies anyhow and she wasn't able to give birth to one. Not only was she, because she's not the only child, childless, initially childless matriarch that we're meeting. There's Sarah, there's Rebecca, all these people took a while for them to have children. But they did not have peninas in their house. They did not have people whose mouths were sharp as a razor. The Bible says she provoked her every time. Not only was she feeling bad that she didn't have a child, she had someone that was you know, pressing the screw every single time. The more Elkanah showed her love, the more Penina's mouth grew sharper. That's my own interpre interpretation of the scripture. For that particular year, she had enough. 
She was not listening to the, oh, I'm more important to you than 10, 10 sons. That one wasn't going to placate her. She, 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 for some reason, and we'll never know, how she decided that this was a battle, but she knew that the time for the Lord that appeared in battles appeared in her case. So when she went to pray, she called the name of the Lord that is a name for battle. Now, I'm not saying that it's because she called this name that God answered. That would be wrong because we know she made a vow. You know, she said, you know, my husband is a Levite, which means when I give her to a Levite, he'll be a Levite. He should be serving you. But we know that the, her husband wasn't, I don't think her husband was a, an active worker because they lived in Ephraim and they had to travel. So it must have been a volunteer worker. But she was like, my son will be a step higher they will not touch his hair. Where Nazarene or Nazarite? I don't know what they call that thing. Mm -hmm. So she stepped up the level of consecration when she made that vow. We know she cried out from the bottom of her pit and God reacts to that. We know she prayed. Pastor has preached about this. So we know exactly why Anna was answered. But Anna also called the name of the God of battle. And you see, when... You call that name under the right temperature, standard temperature and pressure. <laughs> God will move. So the first time we see someone calling this name, it was a woman that was desperate. Now, is there anyone desperate in this house that you know that if God doesn't answer. This is the end of the road. This is, you know, there's nowhere else to go. The scripture says in Psalm 46 verse 7 NLT that the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. So the heart, to the heart that is at that place where, you know, it looks as if there's nowhere else to go. Looks as if we're at the, you know, tomorrow morning, actually, tomorrow morning is very far. The next minute, if God doesn't show up, it will be something else we'll be talking about. To that heart, Psalm 46 verse 7 is speaking to you. Indeed, the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us in, in GFH. The God of Israel is our fortress. And as the Lord of hosts answered Anna, the Lord of hosts will answer you. Amen. Amen. Another example of someone that called the God of hosts is the story of David. And with David and Goliath. And we see that in 1 Samuel 17, 41 to 9. The Philistine came and approached David with his shield bearer in front of him. 
When the Philistine looked around and saw David, he derided and disparaged him. Because he was just a young man with a ruddy complexion and a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with staffs? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear and a javelin and I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the corpses of the army of Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. So... So that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that this entire assembly may know that the Lord does not save with the sword or with the spear. For the battle is the Lord's and it will hand you over to us. When the Philistine rose and came forward to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand into his bag and took a stone and slung it. And it struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone penetrated his forehead and he fell down face on the ground. That's a very familiar story. But I think we're going to read it one more time. Not now. What I like about um, what David did here was his description of God in verse 45. So if we, if we go back to 1 Samuel 17, 45. 45. Then David said to the Philistine, to Goliath, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel. If we leave that on the screen. Papi has preached this before, and I believe he said that it was when, by the time David had said this, Goliath was dead. It didn't, it didn't matter that there was a stone, or there was a slingshot, or there was a, he was already dead, spiritually. Because, what David was saying to me, to him, not me. And David, I think David had, well, well, he was favored. But he also had a very good understanding of who God is and who God is to Israel. He said, You're not, it's not me you're abusing. There is a God that leads the armies of Israel. Remember that we said that the Lord God is the God of hosts of the heaven armies as well as the armies on earth, e.g. the army of Israel. So he knew that the, the real commander of the, that army was not king, was not clearly not him, David, but was the Lord God of hosts. So what David did was introduce the owner of the battle into the battle. 
It was actually sidestepping and saying, spiritually, what it was doing was saying, it's, it's not my battle. The person you're abusing is the Lord God of hosts. That God that has a hundred million minimum angels in his uh, army. That person is the real commander of the armies of Israel. So every morning you came out and you abused the army of Israel. It's not me you're abusing. The person you're abusing, he introduced into the battle. And that's why at that time, Goliath was already dead. Because you see, you cannot face the Lord God of heaven's armies in battle and come out alive. Immediately he said that. It was done. It was over. But why? Is it just because he said those words? No. It is because he knew those words. He knew without reasonable doubt that the real commander was God. That it did not, ha- it didn't matter that he was a child or he was a teenager or he had a slingshot or he had killed lions or bears. Irrelevant. If it was just one kukuruku that was standing in front of Goliath, Goliath would still have been dead because Goliath was standing in direct contention with a God that cannot be disrespected. So if there are three points that David did at that time, first was that he invoked the name of the Lord that deploys the host of heaven. See, these are military men, these angels. They're waiting for God's command. So it's just like saying, I don't know, what God, one name we can call for battle. There's a battle cry, right, that all the army knows. So immediately you say that battle cry. They stand to attention and they begin to start fighting. That's like calling the God Jehovah Sabaoth, Sabaoth, the Lord God of hosts. Immediately, I'm sure he called that name, invoked God, invoked that name of God. These angels were deployed instantly. So that's the first thing David did. The second thing he did, I just said it, he handed over Goliath to God by reminding everyone, including God, that the battle was not his own. Of course, God will not, God only reacts as his time. He responds, not reacts, he responds at a time that is um, right for him because he has perfect timing. But when he said that out, even God himself knew that David was talking to him. That this battle is your own, oh. And stood, the third thing he did was that he removed himself spiritually. Sometimes we go into battle in our everyday life and we do not realize that we shouldn't be the one in the battle. He went behind the rock of ages and put the rock of ages in front. There's a huge learning there for us. As we go into the different battles of our lives, the battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. Because if it was only you that were fighting these people, ah, I don't know. But if it is the Lord God of heaven's armies that really is the one that is leading that battle, there is no way you are going to fail. So like David, put God in front and hide behind him. 
because that battle will be won by the one that has never lost any battle before. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Am I saying that this name is a magic word? No. The host of heavens are not deployed just because you say Jehovah Sabah, Sabaoth seven times. Not even if you say it 21 times. They don't, they don't respond to you. They respond to God. God did not respond to them just because these two people, Anna and David, called him the Lord of hosts. God responded because he knew that they knew. It is that knowing. That's what we need to know this morning. That the one that we serve and the one that loves us passionately is this same God that these people called. It is only when you know it and you are in that situation where there is, because it almost seems as if it's when there's no other way out that it shows up. That is when it will show up. It's important because we don't want, you know, we learn with that in our work with God, not in this church, but from different places where we're coming, it's as if there are some names you have to call God. I don't want to say it, but it's as if when you call this name or call God in this particular way, that is the reason why it's answered. It's not a method. It's not a, I don't know, another word to call it. It is important that we remember that it is a knowing. That we know that when we call on that name, it is a battle cry. Now, we all know that just because our God is powerful, it does not mean that we should go ahead and start looking for people's troubles. Because, because these people were not looking for trouble. They were where they were supposed to be, doing what they were supposed to do. But trouble came to meet them where they were. It's important because if you now say that, oh, somebody has said something, or we want to go and try it out with your neighbor that did not do anything to you. I, I don't know about that. That's not what we're saying here. Also remember that when we're invoking this name, we're invoking the name of the God of all the heavens and the earth. He's not anybody's mate. He's not your houseboy. So you can't just call him as you wish at you know, different times to do your bidding in your life in our lives, that we have no choice but to invoke this battle cry. To give an example of that situation, let's go to 2 Kings 18. We'll read 7, version 13. This is the chapter that preceded the chapter that the angel came, one angel came and killed 185,000 people. Before you think that God is uh, excessive, why did God kill 185,000 people? Assyrians, she be he created them as well. Before you say that, let's give the background of the story. What actually happened? Let's read. And the Lord was with Hezekiah. He was successful wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and refused to serve him. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, went up against all the fortified cities of Judah, except Jerusalem, and captured them. King Hezekiah was the king of this kingdom that was being attacked. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent word to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. If I pause here, remember that the first verse that we read, I think 8, said that he rebelled and he refused to pay tribute to Hezekiah, no, to Sennacherib. 
So we fast forward to the point, part where Sennacherib brought battle to his kingdom. And it was only um, Jerusalem that was still standing. So Hezekiah says, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. He has begged Abi. So the king of Assyria imposed on Hezekiah, king of Judah, a tax of 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah even cut away the gold framework from the doors of the temple of the Lord and, the, and from the doorposts which he had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. 17. Oh, okay, we don't have 17 here. But the point we're trying to bring out here is that there, there are some situations in your life. I started by saying we can't go around fighting everyone. But I'm balancing that with, at times, we must battle. Because in some situations, there's no other way for you to survive but to battle. This king, Hezekiah, yes, he had rebelled against another king and said, I'm not giving you tribute. But when the king brought war, he begged him. And said, I will pay whatever it is that you tell me to pay. This guy levied him 30 talents of silver and gold. He wiped away his entire treasury and went even into the house of the Lord and carried silver to give him. It was not enough. He wanted so much gold that Hezekiah had to scrape gold from the doorposts of the temple of the Lord and give it to this guy. But it still was not enough. Because even after, if we read the rest of the chapter, even after Hezekiah had given Sennacherib all this, Sennacherib sent his people to go and meet Hezekiah's people and say to them, and was taunting them and was telling them what he would do. Disgracing them, disgracing their God, and putting fear into the hearts of the people of Judah. And they were doing it deliberately. Why? Because in one of those scriptures, in that chapter, the people of the king said, please, speak to us in Aramaic instead of Hebrew. We don't want the people of our country to hear what you are saying. It's between us. Speak to us in Aramaic. They said, no. Do you think we're only talking to you? We want them to hear, and they continue speaking in Hebrew. So this, the whole point of that is, there are some people, it does not matter if you carry all, everything you have, and you give to them. In this case, this man even went into the house of the Lord and stripped it to give to this king. They will never be satisfied. It has nothing to do with how low you can put yourself, how you can grovel. They will still not be satisfied. Now, that is why God sent an angel to kill 185,000 of this man's armies. When Hezekiah, after Hezekiah had called God for help. That is the kind of situation that you invoke the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. I think at this point, 
we should read together a psalm that is very familiar with us, familiar to us. We read it a lot. We pray it a lot in this church. But since learning about the Lord God of hosts, since seeing him from this perspective, this particular psalm means a lot more to me, and I now fully understand why Papi prays it so often. We're going to be praying from Psalm 24, verse 1 to 10. We're actually going to be reading it out. Um, If we can put it on the screen. Because we're reading from Amplified Version. Psalm 24, verse 1 to 10. Please, let's read together. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it. The world and those that dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and establish it upon the streams and the rivers. Who may ascend unto the mountain of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted his soul to what is false, nor has sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is generation of those who diligently seek him and require him as their greatest need. Who seek your face, even even as Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. The Lord of hosts is the king of glory. I don't really think there's any more to say on this topic the whole point of this few minutes or several minutes that I've spent here is to introduce this God to you this God whose power I don't even think we can comprehend that part of the scripture that we took out the calculations of angels, tens of thousands versus tens of thousands in Revelation. The scripture was talking about how this company of angels were singing his praise. I cannot imagine what it sounds like for a hundred million angels to be singing at the same time. I'm sure that as they sing, things are happening. That is how the angels worship this God. Now, because we know him as a loving father, he saved us. Oh, anytime we do something wrong and we run to him, he says, welcome, my daughter. It does not mean that he's still not this powerful God. So the whole point of this is to encourage you to say that even if it is that quarter to last minute, when you think that hope is gone, There is a God that is your refuge, that is your fortress, and he is the Lord of hosts. The whole point 
was to try and give some strength. To say, be brave in battle. Because the one that is behind you has at least a hundred million angels. And each angel has been proven to kill 185,000 in a night. That's the Lord of hosts. The whole point is to encourage you and lift up the name of the Lord. Because guess what? He's worthy. He's full of glory. He's full of power. There is, when we talk about, it's not power that we can even understand. And that same God is our God. May the name of the Lord God of heaven's armies, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, may his name be glorified forever and ever. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God.